Never be cruel, never be cowardly. Hate is always foolish. Love is always wise. Always try to be nice, but never fail to be kind. Human progress isn't measured by industry. It's measured by the value you place on a life, an unimportant life, a life without privilege. The boy who died on the river, that boy's value is your value. That's what defines a species. Sometimes the only choices you have are bad ones, but you still have to choose. Episode 30, Doctor Who is Autistic. Welcome to the Autistic Culture Podcast. Each episode, we dive deep into autistic contributions to society and culture by introducing you to some of the world's most famous and successful autistics in history. Before we get started, a quick disclaimer on how we use the word autistic. The purpose of this show is not to diagnose the people or characters we discuss as autistic. While some may have announced being autistic, what we're really sharing here is our observation of what is representative of autistic culture. It can sometimes be difficult for autistic people to celebrate our natural tendencies and traits due to the perception of autism as a disorder that needs to be fixed, a long history of damaging medical interventions to get autistics to fit in with mainstream culture, and protective masking skills many of us have developed to try to stay safe. Whether you are autistic or just love someone who is, your hosts, Dr. Angela Loria, the linguistic autistic. And licensed psychological practitioner, Matt Lowry, welcome you to take this time to be fully immersed in the language, values, traditions, norms, and identity of Autistica. I'm very excited for today. I basically did the entire podcast so that I could be a part of this episode. So, oh, very nice. <laughs> Are you a Whovian? I am a Who fan. Thank you to I. Oh. I I watched it a little bit in college, but my husband is the real Doctor Who fan. So I've done all the all the tours, all the museums, all the episodes in support of my husband's special interest. That that is fantastic. Uh, I I was a gigantic Doctor Who fan in the David Tennant era. Yep, that's my and favorite Doctor. Yes, yeah, he he was my first Doctor, and uh, my my son Emmett uh, is name his name is Emmett David because Emmett after Doc Brown, David after David Tennant, the Doctor. So his he's a double Doctor, and I. I, I, I very, very much love the David Tennant era. I liked the Stephen Moffat era with uh, Eleven. And, but Peter Capaldi, number 12, uh, I didn't get to see him in the first run because I didn't have access to BBC at the time. And my, my ex did not like Doctor Who, so I was mm. not. Yeah, but, but getting back into it. My God, Peter Capaldi has such a great era. And I think uh, he's a good doctor. And I really resisted Matt Smith. And then I came to like him. I actually I got there with him. there are there are some because uh, uh, again being online, uh, I, I read that David Tennant is the cool doctor, uh, Matt Smith is the ADHD doctor, and Peter Capaldi is the autistic doctor. That sounds about and, right. <laughs> yeah, and uh, man, there there's so much to go over, so much to talk about, and but but oh, so uh, I I don't 
I'm a, I'm guessing that there's going to be a lot of Whovians listening to this episode, but I don't want to alienate the people who don't know about the magic man who lives right. in a box. So, so and we're I will going say, to... like, clarification here. My husband is British, and it is required when you are born in England. They make you sign something that says you will be a Doctor Who fan. But you I know, to. yes, it is. It is actually required by law. But if you are uh, American or USA in, as I like to call it. Um, you might be wondering why Matt referenced the BBC and that he couldn't watch it. So it is easier now with streaming services, but certainly when I was growing up, it was hard to get access to Doctor Who, much easier yes. now. I don't know which yeah. streaming service it's on, but you can for sure find it. Oh, well, well, this fall it's going to be on Disney Plus, so everyone's going to have access. D- so, Disney has paid for the franchise. Yeah, they, they get a significant cash increase, which really, really increases the budget, and they're going to do some amazing stuff. So now is a good time to learn about Doctor Who, to get into Doctor Who, to uh, watch all the old episodes, and by that I mean it's like 60 years yeah, but, it's only uh, about, you know, 30,000 episodes. So just catch up exactly. before. Yeah, this, this is the reason why Abed Nadir got into Inspector Space Time, because it's a show that will never, ever end. And <laughs> it's it's beautiful. But in order to give you a proper introduction to Doctor Who, I want uh, to have this quote from Stephen Moffat. Oh. So, Angela, will you will you read this quote I from Stephen Moffat? I would love to do the off- honors. I love me a little bit of Stephen Moffat. So he says... When they made this particular hero, they didn't give him a gun. They gave him a screwdriver to fix things. They didn't give him a tank or a warship or an X-wing fighter. They gave him a call box from which you can call for help. And they didn't give him a superpower or a point or pointy ears or a heat ray. They gave him an extra heart. They gave him two hearts. And that's an extraordinary thing. There will never come a time when we don't need a hero like the doctor. Yeah, and we're we're going to hit on a bunch of high notes. We're going to we're going to have a brief overview of everything, and then talk about why it's autistic. But before we get into it, uh, as River Song would say, spoilers. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so Doctor Who has been on the air in the BBC for a very very long time. Uh, it, it started off in 1963 with the first Doctor being William Hartnell. And it started off as an educational series where this, uh, back then, uh, a, a human uh, with a granddaughter would uh, travel around and go into the past to learn about history and go into the future and learn about science fiction. And they picked up uh, the doctor's uh, granddaughter's school teachers, Ian and Barbara. And that gave this outside perspective because, you know, the doctor and his granddaughter would just be like, oh, hey, yes, it's very normal to get in and travel through time. And they were like, oh, my, what an interesting thing. And of course, since, you know, the doctor was too old and the granddaughter was too young, then they could have this relationship and appeal to people who were not too young or too old. Yeah, and it was on at like tea time. Like everybody watched this as a family. It was seven. It was like a seven p.m. show, and my husband has memories of like watching it. Grandparents, kids, little kids. It was very intergenerational. There's a very, very good uh, biopic uh, about this era of Doctor Who, and I, I very much recommend it. I can't rem- remember the, for my life, but uh, it, it, it's about the forming of Doctor Who, about the, the BBC at the time. Uh, Brian Cox plays the head of the BBC. Uh, I love Brian Cox. 
Yeah, yeah, he was. It's a very, very good documentary about how he didn't want any bug-eyed aliens, and then they created the Daleks with the giant eye stalks. Uh huh. I love that. Is it an adventure in time and space? That's it. Yes, that's it. That's it. Google and that talk shit. about how William exactly because we can't go without knowledge because that's not the way. Right. <laughs> and yeah, William Hartnell. Uh, Oh, so here's a, a great quote from An Unearthly Child, the first ever episode of Doctor Who. And uh, this establishes, oh, wait, this establishes who the character is, who his granddaughter Susan is, and Susan named the TARDIS Time and Relative Dimension in Space. So uh, this is the quote. Yes, and the TARDIS, just to clarify, is that call box or phone booth, as we would call it in the USA. Matt's holding it up if you're watching the video. The blue spaceship that's bigger on the inside. Yes. Uh, Okay, so I tolerate this century, the doctor furiously insisted when speaking to school teachers Ian and Barbara, but I don't enjoy it. Have you ever thought what it's like to be wanderers in the fourth dimension? Have you to be exiles? Susan and I are cut off from our own planet without friends or protection, but one day we shall get back. Yes, one day, one day. And that's the thing because they they're they're initially human explorers and they have this vague backstory. But this is the reason why they travel in time and space, and they they go off and do things. And uh, they're they're again a lot of people at the time became big fans of the Doctor's adventures, uh, you know, fighting the Daleks, uh, learning about space and time. This is one letter from a young fan who was a six year old at the time. I love Doctor Who, and when I grow up, I want to be an actor so that I can help Doctor Who. And please, can you tell me, is there a Doctor Who fan club? Well, that sounds like a nice chap. Yeah, yeah. this was a young man named Peter Capaldi, uh, age six from Glasgow. And he he was a fan from the beginning. And uh, because of, you know, events, he formed his own Doctor Who fan club and would periodically write to the writers. And if they did well, he would praise them. If they did poorly, he would complain. He would write to the costume department. He would write to the actors. He accumulated a great many autographs throughout and became a friend to William Hartnell and his wife, Heather. And, but, but anyway. And and that letter he wrote in 1964, he became the doctor in like 2013. Yes. Way to to hold on and make your dreams come true, young man. There's a lot more to go in between there, but we'll come back to (laughs) him and uh, we'll check in on uh, young Peter and how he gets along with things. Uh, But speaking of Peter, uh, in 1965, Peter Cushing was Doctor Who, more or less, because there was a non-canon set of movies, Doctor Doctor Who, DR period Who, and the Daleks, and Daleks Invasion Earth 2150 AD. And uh, both of those are non-canon, and Peter Cushing plays a man simply named Doctor Who, his, who is his last name, uh, with Susan and the teachers, and he invented the TARDIS in his backyard, and they just happened to get sucked into the Daleks. And the Daleks are very much like from the show, but, you know, uh, 
you're dealing with a human. Very much non-canon had to do with the rights of distribution, all this other interesting stuff. Later on in canon, it turns out the doctor who was a friend of Peter Cushing and Peter Cushing says, here, why don't I fictionalize your life? And the doctor said, oh, that sounds fabulous. Do that. So it's a movie in the series in real life because wibbly wobbly Tommy Wybie things. But but anyway, uh, the second doctor was so William Hartnell, the first doctor, really, really loved being the doctor, but his health was not great. And uh, he he was an older guy. He was missing his marks. He gave it his all. But uh, gradually, the cast members started to move on and the crew members started to move on. And he realized that he, he had to leave, but he didn't want Doctor Who to end. So they came up with this idea. What if the Doctor was of a species that could regenerate into totally different people? And he was like, well, I mean, it's not great, but at least Doctor Who will live on. So then in uh, 1966, Patrick Troughton took over as the second Doctor. And he was a more playful attitude with uh, some dark undercurrents, very sharp guy, uh, sort of uh, embodying the first Doctor, but going his own way. The third Doctor was John Pertwee from 1970 to 74. Uh, and then he was exiled to Earth because it became very, very expensive to travel in time and space. And the, the time <laughs> lords were tight. Said, exactly. said, yeah, you can't be traveling in time and space anymore. So that's when, you know, Doctor Who became Earthbound in the 1970s England. So, uh so in 1973, uh, we get another fan letter uh, from uh, young Peter Capaldi about the current state of Doctor Who. Oh, no, wait, sorry, uh, that uh, copied and pasted. The so wrong he one. is still writing in this, this young Peter Capaldi. He's got things to say. Let's hear it. So Shift this B. is there we go. nine years from the first letter. He says, may I congratulate you on your excellent Doctor Who special. The articles, photos, and especially the Terry Nation Dalek story with the twist in the tail were excellent. The Dalek construction plans will have no doubt inspired many a school to build their own Daleks. Who knows, the country could be invaded by an army of Daleks. Ah, but we'd be safe as we have Doctor Who to protect us. Your special has certainly made the year for Doctor Who fans. A rather sad year due to the untimely death of the master, alias Roger Delgado. But I hope that in 15 years time, in 1988, you will publish another special to celebrate 25 years of wandering in time with the doctor. Peter Capaldi, age 15. Oh my God. Because, oh. as you do. <laughs> Things you to know. say. There are a certain percentage of people, you know, as we do, who are very, very interested in how to make your own Dalek. Right. Uh, And I'm sure there'll be an explosion of Dalek construction now that you have published the construction plans. Yeah, yeah, because no doubt every school in the country will build their own Daleks. Obviously. Yeah, yeah, that's the only foregone conclusion because uh, this, this is the way of our people. We, we avidly digest. Uh, one of my projects, I plan to build a life-size R2-D2 because there is an astromech building club. And now that I know that there are Dalek plans, 
I'm going to have to build uh, R2-D2's hangry cousin, a Dalek. So, you know, uh, but this is the thing. We get very, very, very into our fandom. We get very, very into the minutia of how the props work, how the people work, how the things work. Because uh, once again, I, I talk about autistic relationships. We have the three Fs, friends, family, and fictional characters. And we love the fictional characters as though they are our family and friends. And there are, again, those among the people who we often count as our own, who are so, so dedicated that they, we, we learn everything we can. And this young lad, Peter Capaldi, was one of them. Yes. And the, so, so we go on to the Tom Baker era, and Tom Baker was the longest running Doctor Who. Uh, well, the, the longest running, well, the well, longest the doctor running Doctor with in doctor the who. longest yeah. scarf. Exactly. Uh, one or the other. Yes. Oh, oh, that, oh, so the story behind the scarf is this. Oh. And uh, uh, it's a fun story with that, so... Uh, according to Tom Baker, when a woman named Begonia Pope was asked to knit a scarf for the new doctor, she was unsure how long a scarf was required. She consequently used all of the wool she had been given, resulting in a ridiculously long scarf. The producers loved it. And after it had been shortened slightly, it was used for the fourth doctor story robot. Yeah, yeah. And so there, there were a number of stunt scarves and scarf revisions, but the long scarf became his thing. And he was the longest running doctor for the most episodes of the most series. Overall, most doctors stay for about three seasons. And that is a, a returning thing that we'll get to in just a bit. But uh, uh, he stayed around for the long haul. He had a very interesting mental health history. Uh, he had a breakdown once, uh, uh, may have tried to murder his mother-in-law with gardening implements, uh, had a breakdown, ran off from his family to become an actor in his mid-40s. He was a very, very interesting person, but again, not a lot of documentation about that. But there, he was a very eccentric doctor. So longest running, but how many seasons was that? Uh, 1984, 1981, uh, what, uh, seven years. Okay. So most yeah. were like three, he had like seven, Mo despite Yeah, doubled them. Yes. And... And this is where this uh, kind of stuff comes in, because one of the big hallmarks of Doctor Who is that uh, he often has human companions and th that uh, are the, uh, oh man, uh, the jewelry term. Uh, Accessories? The foil, oh, okay. the, the foil for him, because... Uh, when the humans interact with humans, they're doing humany things. When he's interacting with a companion, it makes him look very different by comparison. And uh, Tom Baker's Doctor Who, uh, the the era was he he was very awkward. He was very interesting. He was very eccentric. And this is a big thing that caught on. And this is the reason why that era was uh, one of the the biggest eras. And this is when a young man named David John McDonald became a fan. Uh, in 1974, at the age of three, David John McDonald tells his parents that he wants to be an actor so that he can be Doctor Who. So uh, as he grew up, he uh, studied and he was in commercials when he was in six, when he was 16. And he later became a member of the Actors Union. Unfortunately, there was already a David McDonald in there. So because he was a fan of the Pet Shop Boys, uh, he took Neil Tennant's name and became David Tennant. I did not know that story. And I love David Tennant. 
And oh, I yes. kind of like the Pet Shop Boys, but uh, yeah. wow. Okay. So from the age of three, David Tennant said, David I Tennant am going to be a doctor. David wanted to be the doctor from the time he was three? From the time he was three. Oh, my God. And, and he got into acting specifically because he wanted to be the doctor. Mm. So, so around this time, uh, uh, in 1980, uh, the, the young man, Peter Capaldi, uh, he had collected autographs from doctors two through four. But in 1980... He threw them out. And uh, he said he had autographs from Patrick Trotton, John Pertwee, Tom Baker. He also had a letter from William Hartnell's wife, Heather McIntyre, uh, since Hartnell was too ill at the time to write back himself. And uh, Did he get mad what? about something or did he no, accidentally no. throw them out? Oh, oh, that's the thing. Uh, this is the reason. Okay. What inevitably happens if you grow up with it is you reach a stage where you leave it. The first four doctors were the ones I grew up with. And so towards the end of Tom's time, I sort of drifted off because I went to college and I was going out into the world and stuff like that. So next time you're thinking you're just too punk rock for your childhood interests, perhaps store your things in a box instead. Your future self might thank you. And that's the thing, because when he was in college, Doctor Who was no longer cool. And because he wanted to fit in with his friends, he got into punk rock music and started a uh, uh, band called the Dream Boys with his friend Craig Ferguson uh, from the late night show. That Craig Ferguson? That Craig Ferguson. He and Peter Capaldi were briefly in a punk rock band. So in order to be cool, in order to eschew his childhood interests uh because if you're watching on youtube you can see all the neat stuff behind me because there's a big thing autistic people camouflage autistic people mask and when people say oh you're not supposed to be into that thing that thing is not for people like us we will say that's right i'm into normal things And this is a very tragic thing that happens to a lot of autistic people that we're forced to give up on the things that give us joy in order to appear normal. Right. So he he gave up on Doctor Who for a while because he, he wanted to be, quote, normal. And that was tragic because he had such a a museum of of very personal Doctor Who memorabilia. And Wait, again, but you w- see that look on Neurotypical's face when you start info dumping. Like I remember going on a date and talking about Crowded House and it was with like somebody who was into music and I was going through the various like production team and what Neil was wearing at which concert and, you know, what color eyes the drummer had in 1984. And I just watched his <laughs> face begin to fall. Like, it was just like, really? Really? <sighs> and it get, it gets embarrassing. Like, there's a shame thing. There's embarrassment. And you're like, I'm not going to do that. That does not generate the results I want from other humans. Yeah. Especially at this point in his life, he's off to college. He's trying to date, make friends. And they're like, really? We're going to yeah. go through each of the doctors and what they wore on each episode and how many Daleks you constructed in your basement. <laughs> and, and characters he drew of each of the doctors. Oh. So he, <laughs> he drew each of the doctors and sent them to the doctors and his uh, drawing of Tom Baker was published. So oh. yeah, it, it's out on the internet if you want to find it, it. But but that's the thing. Uh, with, with that that uh, internalized ableism, that self-loathing of the 
I can't be myself because other people will reject me. And a lot of autistics feel that. And it's, it's very, very rough. And that, that is a, that's a hurtful thing, uh, which is again, why you should take Peter Capaldi's advice and, uh, just store your things in a box instead, because when you are comfortable, you can come back to yourself. So anyway, uh, the fifth doctor uh, was Peter Davison, and uh, he was kind and fashionable with a stick of celery on his uh, suit because reasons. Uh, he, he was uh, probably the most neurotypically coded of the doctors, but uh, this is not the end we'll hear from him. He'll come back. So uh, keep, keep an eye out for Peter Davison in about a few minutes. And then the sixth doctor was Colin Baker, which uh, he was an explosion of colors and words and emotions, very passionate, quick to anger, great big autistic emotions. And there's a lot of theories that perhaps Colin Baker himself was autistic and uh, therefore brought a, a, a twinge of this to the series. But unfortunately, because the head of the BBC at the time did not like Doctor Who, uh, that was a big, uh, they, they, they shuffled around the time slot. Uh, they, he just, he put an end to Doctor Who. So for the longest time, that was the end of Doctor Who. Well, Sylvester McCoy came in. And uh, he was Doctor Who in 1987 to 1989. And uh, I, that was the, no, no, that wasn't the made for TV movie. He was, uh, yeah, Paul McGann was the TV movie. So Sylvester McCoy was the final Doctor Who, uh, the final Doctor of the original era. But in 1995, uh, Peter Capaldi got into filmmaking and he had a short film, Franz Kafka's It's a Wonderful Life, which was nominated for an Oscar. And oh. it starred Richard E. Grant. Uh, Richard E. Grant has been in many, many things, especially Doctor Who. Uh, legendary actor, most recently uh, on Loki as classic Loki. Uh, but uh, he uh, he was also in the episode The Snowman as the guy that the, uh, the evil snow kind of possessed. But... Uh, Fantastic actor, uh, but 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 anyway, uh, he was an actor in this movie. And Capaldi's wife Elaine Collins was in there. The film is an absurd mashup of Frank Capra's "It's a Wonderful Life" and Franz Kafka's "The, the Metamorphosis," because that's how you do a movie: take a beloved classic work and and uh, a really really arcane work of self-exploration, mash them together, see what happens. But, but anyway, in 1994, the film won a BAFTA award. The Academy itself was uh, one of those rare instances where it was a tie, and that's interesting. But uh, he almost didn't make it to the ceremony because he didn't have the money. So he got some money from the Scottish Film Fund, and uh, he kept borrowing and asking people, and finally he got enough money together to go to the Oscars to accept his Oscar for making a film because he got into acting because of Doctor Who. Because of Doctor Who. Wait, and he actually won. He didn't just get he nominated. Won. He won. Oh, that's he won. Cool. All right. Yeah. So, so he became an Academy Award winning filmmaker. But, but again, we'll catch up with Peter and see how his life turns out in a minute. So, but, but in 1996, uh, they decided to reboot Doctor Who in America. And that's where Paul McGann came in because they decided uh, the BBC partnered with, I think it was maybe ABC. I don't remember, but they, they decided to make a worldwide Doctor Who that was appealing to American audiences so that they get that nice American share. So they started interviewing people and they started uh, putting the word out there. And uh, the agent for that young man, Peter Capaldi, said, hey, 
you're into Doctor Who, right? Would you like to play Doctor Who? And uh, uh, Peter Capaldi said this. I knew I wouldn't get it. I love the show so much. I didn't want to have anything to do with it unless it was going to be me. I just didn't want to have the disappointment and go through all the blather of jumping through hoops of something I was never going to get. I knew it wasn't an American pilot thing. I said, no, I won't go along. I said to my agent, no, thank you very much. It's not something I want. Yeah, because that's the thing. Doctor Who was perfect for him. And he he couldn't bring him, first of all, the internalized rejection of, no, the Americans won't like me. I'll never be the doctor. Why bother? Why even try? I'm not even going to try because why bother? Why bother? Why bother? But, but also, he knew that he wouldn't be able to do the doctor his way. Mm. And keep in mind, this is a kid who wrote letters. Uh, because, okay, so if you haven't listened to the podcast, one of the common thing for the autistic people, we don't do hierarchy. Uh, if you're an autistic kid, you treat the teachers, you treat the principal, you treat a president the same as you treat anybody else, because we're very egalitarian in that regard. So a young Peter Capaldi uh, tended to write to the doctors who tended to write to the staff, tended to write to the production people to say, you did a fantastic job there, or you did not do a fantastic job there at all. I'm very cross with you. And he, he was very, very vocal about what Doctor Who should be and how Doctor the Doctor should be played. And he said, well, I can't control that. I'm just not going to deal with it. That's not me. So, uh, but again, it, it did not go over well. It, uh, it kind of crashed and burned. Hmm. So a long time passed, about a decade, until uh, a, a, a writer named uh, Russell T. Davies came in. And uh, he started writing for many series. And the BBC said, hey, what would you like to do next? He said, you know, I really like Doctor Who. And they're like, okay, well, let's look into that. So uh, Christopher Eccleston was cast as the first Doctor uh, of the revival era uh, in 2005. But uh, he had a lot of stuff. He had a lot of anxiety. He had a lot of depression. Uh, he he also said that, you know, the, the long hours, he, it did not work. Hmm. So they started Was he, was he a stage actor? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. He's an amazing actor. Oh, but, yes, very but much film so. sucks. I've done, I know you've done a little bit, but um, like with the documentary you're working on, it's very taxing. Like I had to yeah. stand outside in the rain for like eight hours to get a shot. It's, it's yeah. not like ideal without the right accommodations. So, yeah, it, it's very awkward. And uh, also, fun fact I'm an extra in the movie Seabiscuit. <laughs> you're in Seabiscuit. Okay. That is too weird. That is officially yeah, weird. Yeah. As, uh, they, they shot the racetrack sequence. Uh, oh, because oh, oh, you're in Kentucky. I'm in Kentucky, yeah. So uh, I, I was in the racetrack sequence, and they also shot the hospital scene at Eastern State Hospital, where I worked at the time. Huh. So, yeah. All right. So I'm, I'm just in the background, uh, dressed in a trench coat, because that's the only timey period clothing I had. <laughs> nice. They did but, not but, costume but, you, clearly. We love sharing stories of autistic culture. And if you are seeing yourself in any of these stories and you're wondering if maybe you're one of us or maybe you're already diagnosed or self-diagnosed and you want to know if Matt can help you live your life better and be more authentically autistic, 
check out his website at mattlowerylpp.com. That's Matt, M-A-T-T, Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y. And then that LPP, it stands for Licensed Psychological Practitioner. So head on over to mattlowerylpp.com and learn more about working with my buddy, Matt. So anyway, Christopher Eccleston was out and Russell T. Davies needed a replacement. So uh, he was doing this Casanova series. And uh, in Casanova, there was this actor named David Tennant. Yeah. And David Tennant said, Russell asked me to come to his house in Manchester, which is where we've been filming Casanova, because he had a couple of rough cuts of the first series of Doctor Who, and he knew I was a bit of a fan. So then they said they needed someone to take over, and uh, they were like, oh, hey, I think this will work out. So, uh, so... Anyway, uh, this uh, this started his series as the Doctor. Okay, so David became- Tennant, just for if you're not a Doctor Who person, you're trying to catch up. We mentioned him earlier. He was the one who changed his name based on the Pet Shop Boy's name. He's oh, yeah. also the one that we said was the cool doctor. He is also very important to note, my favorite doctor and an incredible stage actor also. So, I mean, very he's much done so. so much. David Tennant is prolific. I feel like I'm always watching him, but he's incredible. Yeah, yeah. So so anyway, there is one episode in particular where there was a young boy on stage uh, that uh, uh, was named Ty Moffat. And Time Off It was five at the time and said, you are my hero. I love Doctor Who. And he said, I also love Doctor Who. And uh, the, the actress also said, I also love Doctor Who. And he said, you love Doctor Who? I love Doctor Who. And uh, it was kind of ironic because that actress was Georgia Moffat. And Georgia Moffat uh, has a bit of a pedigree when it comes to Doctor Who because her father was Peter Moffat, uh, who changed his name to Peter Davison and was the fifth Doctor. The fifth Doctor. So uh she started to sort of low-key, high-key stalk David Tennant and uh, sent him around 400 text messages and uh, showed up. And, you know, uh, so eventually they got married and uh, th- she had uh, David's kids because uh, her first she had her first kid, Ty, when he was she was 17. Uh, she's never revealed the father, but uh David Tennant adopted Ty Tennant, and now Ty Tennant is uh, on House of the Dragon. And these days, he says, yes, I definitely want to be Doctor Who at some point, because my grandfather was Doctor Who, my father is Doctor Who, I want to be Doctor Who. That's so so cool. The fun thing about Georgia Tennant is that uh, she met David Tennant while working on an episode called The Doctor's Daughter, where she played a sort of clone that was uh, the daughter of... 10, the doctor. Uh, and she was also Peter Davison's daughter. So the doctor's daughter uh, was in an episode, the doctor's daughter playing the doctor's daughter. And then she had the doctor's daughters. So that's it's so kind of cool. neat. That's so cool. I love that. I do feel like there is a future where Ty Tennant will be a Doctor. Oh, he has to be. Yeah. Uh, And and then in 2000, so the doctor had a few companions. uh, Rose, of course, which is an epic love story. And, uh, but, 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 uh, 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 so many things. So, uh, so, so, oh, God. Oh, the doctor. Oh, who is the second companion after doctor? uh, After Rose? Doctor. uh, I can't remember the doctor's doctor. Uh. Ah. Uh, I'm trying to remember who it is. Who is it? Who does it look like? What does it look like? Oh, God. 
Martha? Martha, yes, okay. Martha Jones. Martha Jones. Mm, okay. Oh, okay. So, so uh, David Tennant had Rose, Martha Jones, and of course, uh, one of my all-time favorites. Uh, oh, Catherine Tate. Oh, God. Oh, my brain. Why did my brain just fall? <laughs> Who is uh, Catherine Tate? Oh, my God. What is Catherine Tate's name? Uh, I do love her. She's one oh. of my favorite companions. Oh, and... good Lord. Oh. <laughs> So, oh my God! So the whole uh, so so read so listeners at home, you're probably screaming, and like, I can't hear you because again, you're in the future. Why can't uh, my brain pull that name again? I'll I'll pull that in a minute. But but anyway, this in one episode, the fires of Pompeii, which is one of the greatest all time episodes. Uh, they they meet Lobus Cassilius. Okay, so this is Donna Noble. Donna so, Noble, yes, okay. oh, thank so, God. Okay, so yes. just to explain, the doctor, and I know Matt's talked about this before, but the doctor always has a sidekick. The sidekick is called a companion. And David Tennant had this sidekick, who is a human, who's Donna Noble, who is played by an incredible actress named Catherine Tate. I actually saw Catherine Tate and David Tennant doing uh, Mary Wives of Windsor or something. What, oh, some nice. Shakespeare play. Like, they were amazing. I signatures from the stage door from both of them. Oh, that's excellent. So, I love both of them, but I was now with you. So, the Pompeii episode, which is an awesome episode, back to that. Jump in. So, so anyway, in this episode, uh, it's one of Donna Noble's first episodes. She's hilarious. A very so. So again, uh, the the companions for uh, David Tennant's Doctor uh, Rose was very, very much uh, a romantic interest. Martha Jones was. Uh, she she liked the doctor, but he was heartbroken, couldn't really get into it. So she was very much a foil because she was also in training to be a doctor herself. Right. Very very good. Uh, Donna Noble. Very, very acerbic, quick-witted, would uh, called him skinny, you know, uh, was very hilarious. They had a very great thing. So anyway, one of the first things they do, she says she wants to go to Rome. And uh, the TARDIS translates everything, except for if you speak Latin, in Latin, it changes it to, uh, you know, uh, British, uh, uh, Saxon. Uh, yeah. So, but, but anyway, they, they go to, and they accidentally land in Pompeii the day before the explosion. And of course they find things are afoot and they happen, but they meet this man named Lobus Cassilius, local stonemason. Uh, he's an artist uh, and his family and they welcome him in and they have a lot of things. And this man was very, very pleasant to be around. This man is played by Peter Capaldi. Oh. And he finally, finally got in the door to be on Doctor Who as this secondary character, Lobus Cassilius. And at the end of the episode, of, so there's a rule in Doctor Who that there are fixed points in time that you can't change. Like, like Pompeii. You, like Pompeii. The doctor could not stop Pompeii from exploding and killing thousands because that's a fixed point in time and he can't do it, says the rules of the universe. But Donna Noble because she is Donna Noble and uh, goes on to be the most important woman in the universe because of reasons, she she says, just save one person. One person, go save one person. So as the fire and as the ash is raining down and everyone is screaming, the TARDIS shows up and they get Lobus Cassilius and his family into the TARDIS and rescue them because you can't save everybody, but you can just 
you have to save just one person. Mm. And this becomes important later on uh, when we get into the 13th era. But yes. but anyway, it, it was a very, very meaningful moment in the doctor's thing. Because again, with our justice sensitivity, we, we have to do good. We have to do what is right. We have to We have to follow the rules, but we have to do what is right. So he had to follow the rules of time and space. He couldn't avoid the fixed point in time, but he could save just one person. Which, and, I mean, that yeah. episode, the doctor broke the rules about changing history, but we like to do it creatively. He didn't yeah, break it yeah, all we, the we, way. <laughs> we have to do what is right, uh, regardless of what the rules, because that's the thing. If the rules do what is right, then we have no problem with it because it's it's fair and just. If the rules go against what is right, we have to get creative and do what is absolutely morally right. Mm. And that's that is the way of our people. Yeah. So, so, and I uh, think, Dave, I think Kate, Catherine Tate is coming back. Oh, yes, uh, she will be back in the bridge season. Yeah. So, so if, uh, so, so, uh, when uh, Doctor Who comes to Disney Plus this fall, uh, she and David Tennant are going to be on there. Uh, she had to have her memory erased in order to keep her brain from exploding. Long story. <laughs> but, uh, Neil Patrick Harris is going to cause her brain to explode. David Tennant has to come back and save her. There's, there's, there's a thing to go about all that. But anyway, Donna Noble was a very strong, independent, strong willed character. Uh, and, and this is a big thing about Russell T. Davies. Russell T. Davies also fleshed out uh, Doctor Who's supporting cast, uh, like Captain Jack uh, Harkness, uh, not Sparrow. I want to say Captain Jack Sparrow. Very similar characters, yeah. but uh, Captain Jack uh, will, you know, uh, go for anything that moves. Very, very interesting character. Uh, he he uh, created Torchwood, uh, the Sarah Jane Adventures from an earlier companion, brought back K-9, uh, Doctor Who's robot dog, and uh, created this whole Marvel Cinematic Universe before the Rose of Marvel Cinematic Universe in the early 2005, 2006 era, uh, way before Iron Man. So he's going to come back and do all that again. That's a whole thing. But, but anyway, uh, because Dave, David Tennant said, uh, yeah, it's time for me to go. Uh, I've had my uh, three years. Uh, it, it is time for me to go. And this is uh, David's quote about uh, this, his end for the doctor. We all change when you think about it. We are all different people all through our lives. And that's okay. That's good. You've got to keep moving. So as long as you remember all the people you used to be, I will not forget one line of this. Not one day, I swear. I will always remember when the doctor was me. And that, that was his parting line as he regenerated into Eleven. And uh, Eleven, uh, Matt Smith, uh, a very uh, a fascinating guy, very naturally somewhat clumsy, tended to break a lot of props, uh, ruin a lot of costumes, uh, very much uh, considered the ADHD doctor. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, he had a good run on this. Uh, Stephen and like, Moffat, who the hell wants to follow David Tennant? Like, David Tennant is yeah. an amazing actor. He's also had a lot of chops. I don't know. To me, he looked like he was in his late 30s, early 40s. Matt Smith looked 15 or maybe 16. Like, People were not, it was very hard to accept Matt Smith for a lot of people. And then his first line was like, uh, 
the uh, Matt's first line was like, still not ginger. And people yeah, yeah. Ca- claim that he was like uh, anti ginger, which I feel like, are you in the ginger club? I feel like I've got a ginger beard. I'm, I'm, like, you're, I'm, you're, uh, I'm genetically, my son is ginger. So we'll yeah, it. yeah. So people were like, he's an anti ginger. The like redheads didn't like it. There was like a lot of Matt Smith hate. Um, which I think, not that this is an ADHD show, but um, I think all of us that are in the neuro minority experience uh, kind of those backlashes and people came out hard and fast against Matt Smith. Yeah. And, and it was also a difference in showrunners because this is when Russell T. Davies left and mm. Stephen Moffat took over. Mm. And Stephen Moffat himself, uh, he had a few really, really so like a, a Christmas Carol. Oh my God. The Christmas Carol episode makes me ugly cry every time, <laughs> especially the line, but you didn't hit the boy. Mm. And if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, for the love of God, go watch it. It is one of my favorite things ever. There, but uh, it was a very odd run. Uh, it, it He had very epic run-ups. There was stuff like the Pandorica. Uh, a lot of stuff had some really weird payoffs. Uh, but uh, this is one of my favorite quotes from Eleven's era. When you wake up, I'll be a story in your head, but that's okay. We're all stories in the end. Just want to make it a good one, eh? Because it was. It was the best. There, there was a thing about the universe unraveling and uh, his companion, Amy Pond, uh, was uh, the, the linchpin to all this. And uh, anyway, it was weird. So Amy Pond and her husband, Rory, Rory may or may not be autistic. He was an interesting character, uh, hung around and they had a very interesting experience where uh, they, they had a child together. Uh, who uh, later on uh, was uh, named uh, oh, oh, uh, oh, oh, uh, uh, Melody Pond, Melody, uh, their, their daughter, Melody Pond, uh, who uh, later grew up into, uh, there was a thing, she, Melody Pond was kidnapped by aliens and uh, went back in time and became Mel's because she was brainwashed to kill the doctor. And uh, the, so anyway, they end up, Try to kill Hitler, as one does. And uh, Melody Pond is shot. And she's dying. And she regenerates into River Song. And it turns out that their companion's baby, who is displaced in time and raised to be an assassin to kill the doctor, turns out to be his wife, as one does. And uh, when Melody was a kid, she would say, why did the the teacher ask, why did the Titanic sink? Because the doctor didn't save it, except you don't know about the doctor because you're stupid. And again, we we tend to be kind of like that with uh, teachers. I don't know. You might. I I was. I was 100 percent. But but, but anyway, all the stories there. (laughs) uh, River Song was a very, very. You know, good character, a very strong character. Uh, she, she, she was in prison most of the time for killing the doctor, which is a long story on that because at first she was a spaceman, then she wasn't a spaceman, and a time traveler, and then in jail, and not. And then there were aliens, and then there weren't aliens, and they had to get John F. Kennedy, no, no, Nixon involved. It's Tommy Wymley again. Stephen Moffat's era was a wild one. Yeah. So, Did so. you know River Song's name was actually written in the language of the forest people? Melody is what 
Amy called her, but the forest people didn't have a word for pond, so they used the river. So river Neat. is actually pond, and melody is song. I love so that. River That's so song cool. is melody pond in the in the forest people language. So. Exactly, exactly. It, it again, there are some really good gems in this. When autistic people find a special interest, they go deep and have a lot of knowledge, even if they don't have that formal education background to go with it. If you want to capture your spin in a book, check out Angela's work at differencepress.com, differencepress.com, and find out more about becoming an author and establishing your credibility with a book. I want to talk about this just for one second, just to tie it back to autistic culture, because this is one of the things I think that resonates with autistic culture is it's such a robust world and there are so many details, so much like fact finding. And a lot of times I think we we can like pick it apart think about it multiple ways that might have to do with the fact we like to watch things over and over again so that we can understand it. And so having layers, being able to have all the different doctors because of that regenerative theme, you can make connections. I I think there's, there are some reasons why Doctor Who resonates so much inside of autistic culture. And then obviously there are some key autistic characters. I know we're about to get to a big one right now. Oh, oh, oh very <laughs> much. Uh, two big ones. Okay. And uh, yeah, so so anyway, uh, Matt Smith lasts until 2013. And then in 2013, uh, they, they, they needed a new doctor. And uh, through various contacts and for various reasons, Peter Capaldi stepped up and said, I think I'm ready. So, so once again, he had already previously been on Doctor Who as Lobus Casilius, the man from Pompeii who was saved. So when he shows up with this man's face, a lot of fans were like, you know, that's an interesting coincidence. But uh, Clara, uh, Clara, I, I want to pronounce it Clara, American. Clara, which is how, Clara. Yeah. how Peter says it, but we'll just call her Clara because we're yeah. American, we're USA. Yeah, but but <laughs> she she says, hey, uh, and he comes to this conclusion. I know why I regenerate. I deliberately regenerated into this face. Why? What is that for? And he says, uh, to remind me to hold the mark. I'm the doctor and I save people. And that was the first time that the doctor saved someone in that Pompeii episode. And now that becomes who Peter Capaldi is as the doctor. And this is, this is a big hallmark of the Peter Capaldi era because Peter Capaldi is often aloof, standoffish, but also incredibly caring. There is a uh, one moment where uh, Clara says, uh, yeah, uh, you can't call they're, her they're Clara. Walking. Yeah. 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 <laughs> because, yeah you're yeah. British I, just I, for I one have, word. <laughs> yeah, there, there is one person in particular who is British, but always has an American accent and, uh, he will be laughing at this, yeah. but th- this is the thing. Uh, she, she, they're walking through and they said, uh, uh, uh is, is this your girlfriend? He says, Oh God, no. And she says, I'm his carer, uh, implying that, you know, he's an invalid. And she said, and, uh, the doctor says, that's right. She's my carer. So I don't have to. And he's, He's very blunt. He's very sarcastic. He's to the point, but he's got an enormous heart. And this is one of the biggest things about him because with like the Zygons. Okay. So the Zygons are essentially, uh, 
Let's call them planet of the tongue people because they look like enormous tongues, right? Okay. So there's there is an invasion of these tongue people and there's they're shapeshifters and they blend in with humans and you can't tell who's who and unit the essentially the Britain's men in black want to set off a bomb to kill all of them. And he says, no, we can't do this because this is not the way we, we, there is absolutely no way you, you need. I've fought so many wars. I, he, he keeps genociding the Daleks on a semi-weekly basis, but you can't do this. You have to learn how to live together. And that's where Petronella Osgood comes in because she follows the doctor. Uh, another Zygon impersonates Patronella Osgood. She has a scarf, just like the fourth doctor. She has an inhaler because she's got allergies. And this other one uh, impersonates her and you can't tell them apart. And neither of them tells which is which. And they both have identical boxes for a button to, you know, take to kill everybody. And you can't choose which is which because, you know, you, you can't kill a whole race of people because that's bad. And so, so there's, anyway, uh, there's a quote from him about war, but it's like a five minute long quote. So uh, please check out the Zygon Inversion. It's a great, great episode about war. But uh, I want to say three of my favorite quotes from Peter Capaldi because he is, he's got, again, keep in mind that uh, this is a man who, who, who repeatedly had his input during his time as Doctor Who because he's no longer just a boy writing to say, yes, you should do this. No, you shouldn't do this. He had a very great deal of control in the writer's room and during the production, and he knew what the Doctor should be like. And, so and obviously I know, like, Peter Capaldi has many attributes of autistic culture, but is he actually diagnosed or at, do we know... Uh, to my knowledge, he has never been diagnosed. Uh, I, I haven't heard anything bring it up, except for the fandom to say that 12 is probably autistic. Right. But I don't know about him himself. Right, right, right. But, but that character is coded autistic for sure. Very so much so, yeah. I think these quotes will sort of show some aspects of that. Never be cruel, never be cowardly. Hate is always foolish. Love is always wise. Always try to be nice, but never fail to be kind. Human progress isn't measured by industry. It's measured by the value you place on a life, an unimportant life, a life without privilege. The boy who died on the river, that boy's value is your value. That's what defines a species. Sometimes the only choices you have are bad ones, but you still have to choose. Yeah. Okay, and so that was he, three quotes. I read them back to back, but tell me your take on the, why are these your Peter Capaldi quotes to live by? Peter Capaldi <laughs> was big on kindness because, again, he faced, when we come back to the Stephen Moffat quote, the doctor does not carry a weapon. The doctor carries a sonic screwdriver to fix things or to occasionally take the bolts out of doors so you can get through them, except for the sonic screwdriver doesn't work on wood for reasons. But uh, the doctor is always kind. And that was Peter Capaldi's thing. No matter what you do, no matter what thing that you get through, there are choices to make and kindness is always the right choice. And he's surly, he's acerbic, uh, <laughs> he's, he, he is... But, but that's the thing, no matter what situation he gets, there is one thing where, okay, so there's this one story where picture a factory that is very dangerous. And instead of using equipment, you uh, do things remotely with robots, but the robots become sort of sentient, right? 
And the robots say, oh, wait, uh, but but that's the thing. These are not just robots. These are robots made from a vat of flesh, and they don't realize that they're robots. So they think that they're the people. And the people say, oh, no, the robots are revolting. And the robots say, oh, no, we have doubles. So uh, the doctor shows up, and, of course, they're very fearful of each other. And he makes a great point to say you need to understand the other side. You need to understand people. You need to understand who they are because everyone's life matters. And again, with the whole, there is no unimportant life. In all of my journeys, no one I've met is a nobody. That was Mm. an 11 one. But this is is a big thing about not fighting wars, but ending wars through Mm -hmm. kindness. And he, he very acerbic, very quick witted. Uh, He, 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 he was very, very formative in all of that and no no matter what situation he got into no matter how difficult the situation he found a kind resolution and that was his impact on doctor who and with river song uh river song long story she was travel she and the doctor traveled in opposite directions in the time stream uh the first time he met her was the last time he met her the first time she met him was the last time uh, anyway so right before the doctor knew that that was the last time he was going to ever see her so uh, they went to a planet that uh, had uh 24 year days. So they spent 24 years together before he knew that she was going to go off to a deadly library. Mm. Again, won't spoil it as she often warns against, but you should definitely check it out. Uh, both, uh, yeah, silence in the library, epic, uh, uh, the husbands of river song, fantastic he uh, he later uh and i put some hanging. of these links in the show notes too just to make it a little easier for you the doctor's war speech is on yes YouTube, yes the, the war so. speech oh my but god you should watch all one. the doctor I, we've already told you this yeah. at the beginning yeah you just yeah. watch them all <laughs> this what's your appetite yeah so so anyways he 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 spent months uh carefully going through time and crafting this he built a hotel he he paid the hotel people well he did all this in order to spend 24 years with the woman he loved and he anyway just a great great doctor uh, i very much recommend it his his companion after clara long story short clara is now both dead and immortal hungs out with Maisie williams from game of thrones because she's immortal they now have a, a a tardis that looks like a diner it's a long story definitely check it out it's fun so he hung out with this woman named bill who is named after william hartnell and bill's girlfriend is named heather after william hartnell's wife and there is a whole big thing there and there's a very tragic thing with the cybermen it's it's all very big it's heartbreaking i can't recommend it enough and epically shot the the budgets are starting to increase they are oh my god it's so good and his relationship with missy so so all throughout the series there the doctor is of a species well okay long story short minus uh, the the uh, timeless child he comes from a race of time lords timeless child a whole other thing we'll talk about that he comes from a race of time lords and his best friend of me is named the master the doctor is not his real name the master is not his real name but the doctor chose to be called the doctor the master chose to be called the master they've been frenemies through time and space for various reasons so the the master regenerates into missy 
And boy, she's fun. She's evil, but she's fun. And she and the doctor have this like weird flirty thing. Gonna kill you, might not kill you. Uh, let's kill everybody. Let's not kill everybody sort of uh, thing going on. And that that dynamic is really, really good. But 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 anyway, the time came for Peter Capaldi to say goodbye because after three years, that was his time. So that line, never be cruel, never be cowardly. Hate is always foolish. Love is always wise. Always try to be nice, but never fail to be kind was his parting words. As he left the show, that was the speech Mm -hmm. he gave as Mm -hmm. his regeneration. So then, uh, uh, also, uh, the story leaders, writers, uh, the head writers, the story editors changed from Stephen Moffat to Chris Chibnall. And Chris Chibnall has a big history in other shows. Uh, I, I personally feel like he went the J.J. Abrams route when it mm. came to the 13th Doctor because not only are there a lot of lens flares, flares but there's a very massively dramatic different way of shooting. He changed up all of the cast. Uh, Jodie Whittaker does as good a job as she can as the Doctor, and it's it has been said that Chris Chibnall intentionally wrote her with autistic traits. Hmm. But, uh, again, I'm not sure that he understands what autism is. Right. Yes, and we love it when neurotypical people try and write an autistic character, see Rain Man for details. You guys usually nail it. You're just, you get it. (laughs) So so this is one of my biggest issues with the Chris Chibnall, and I'll call it the Chris Chibnall era, because everything is on him. He wrote, like, all of the episodes, except for the episode with Mary Shelley, which was a fantastic episode. And, again, Jodie Whittaker does a very, very good job in that episode when she has good writing. Right. But Chris Chibnall doesn't know what he's doing with the Doctor. And again, <laughs> the, the Doctor, instead of being, you know, this, this force of nature, uh, she now doesn't really know what she's doing. She's kind of flighty. She's easily distracted. Uh, the She now has a whole host of companions instead of just having one or two. She now has like four. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's Yaz. Uh, there's, uh, oh man, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh, I, I, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, there, there's lots. He's... Uh, four companions and then gets like five. And then by the time of the New Year's special, there's seven people in the TARDIS, right? So in so the, which like it is a fire, very big phone box inside. It is, but. it is. But one thing that got me personally, like in the fires of Pompeii, it's epic because David Tennant rushes out of the TARDIS, grabs the family by the hand, drags them in. Uh, Donna Noble standing there in the doorway, ready to pull them in. It's two people against the world. But in this New Year's episode with the Daleks, you have this moment where the Daleks are there, ready to kill everybody, and then you have this extended sequence for forty-five seconds where seven people line up and crawl out of a phone booth like a clown car. Right. <sighs> and it just, it kills me. And I don't, it, it just, and, and God. And it that, was hard that, to keep track. Like I did care about Jody, but there's like, I don't know, Graham, Ryan. Yeah. Yes, like, yes, I, yes. I don't know. It, and, and obviously I often resonate with the companions. The companions yeah. are usually like my favorite character, even more than the doctor in some ways, but. Uh, there was just yeah the writing was just it felt thin 
Yeah, very, very for like all the the, the whole run. I, I liked Yaz as a companion. I liked Jodie Whittaker as a doctor, but God, they deserved better. Yeah, and yeah. that that's why when it was revealed that uh, after three years he was out and they were going to have a replacement, and Russell T Davies is coming back. That's the key to everything. And as RTD. you know, my goal yeah. is for Russell T Davies to be my best friend. And yes, I'm yes. working on that. I'm I'm committed to the long term vision um, of our life as best friends together. So, and, and he has such epic plans. He has he's great with uh, inclusion. He's great about having a voice for everybody. He he has epic storytelling. He made the Doctor Who cinematic universe before Marvel made their cinematic universe. So now that he's got some sweet, sweet Disney Plus money, uh, I very, very much recommend you check out the, the trailer for the Doctor Who 2023 specials because they are epic. I show them to people who are not current Doctor Who fans and they say, my, that is certainly something that I actually genuinely want to see because Neil Patrick Harris is the new villain and uh, there's uh, going to be fighting David Tennant. Donna Noble is coming back. Uh, it, it's going to be cinematic and awesome and big. And uh, so, so anyway, uh, it's... It, so, oh, uh, as, as a side note, Sarah Jane Smith was a companion from uh, three and four. Uh, she later came back in the first Russell T. Davies era with the Sarah Jane adventures. And she had a long history in both on screen and in print. Uh, the woman who played Sarah Jane died of cancer. Mm, uh, but right. uh, they still wrote stories, including the story Lily, which explicitly said that her granddaughter was autistic. Hmm. Right. So... Canonically, but but anyway, David Tennant is going to be the Doctor in 2023. Shuti Gatwa is going to be uh, David Tennant is now the Grover Cleveland of Doctors because he's both the tenth Doctor and the fourteenth. Twenty two and twenty four. <laughs> exactly, exactly, uh, and uh, Shuti Gatwa is going to be the fifteenth Doctor afterwards. But uh, uh, David Tennant has hinted that that's not the end. Mm. So. We'll have to see what he's comes doing, up with this because... He's doing this like mini season, this bridge season where he said they're going to come back with Catherine Tate. I think it's like six episodes or something. And then yeah. we know he's going to regenerate. But yes, we don't know what the story will be. But since it was written by my best friend, Russell T. Davies, what we do know is it will be well written. I can't promise well, anything else, but I can promise good writing from Russell D. It, it's going to be awesome. And, yes. and then we go to the future with Ty Tennant, who is David Tennant's now stepson. And uh, Ty calls David dad. So we'll just yeah. say David's son. Yeah. So uh, he, he wants to be the doctor. So he's coming up with that. And it turns out that we've already seen the 45th doctor. Uh, because again, there's, so there's a thing about uh, the timeless child and the lost doctor and all this other stuff. But again, I think it's going to be retconned because of reasons. But uh, during Russell T. Davies' era, there was the 45th Doctor who was the secret Doctor. Mm. Because once again, if you haven't seen Silence in the Library, please do. Because it is an epic episode. There is mystery. There is, mystery. There is the very epic line, hey, who turned out the lights? And uh, if you get chills from that, you know what I'm talking about. But, but anyway, so there's this character named Dr. Moon. And Dr. Moon lives in a computer. And uh, Dr. Moon uh, talks to the, the girl who lives, the, the, the computer system uh, 
spoilers, uh, is a the computer system is run by a girl who was saved by her father by putting her into the computer before he died. And the doctor does the same thing with, uh, 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 oh God, Alex Kingston, it's a river song. God, mm. my, my brain, you know? So the doctor does the same thing with River Song to save her so she gets to be in the computer. But when Russell T. D. Davies and Stephen Moffat were talking about writing this episode, they both agreed that Dr. Moon was going to be the doctor himself so they could spend eternity together mm. because she had already saved him and put him in the computer previously. And that's the reason why he's a little bit manipulative. Uh, she, she, they say that he's his widow, uh, her widow. Somewhere in the terrible future on a battlefield, the 45th doctor dies in her arms and makes her the same promise she once made him. It's not over for you. You'll see me again. So when River buries her husband and goes off to have lots of adventures with his younger selves and confuse the hell out of them until, of course, she ends up in the data core of the library planet and realizes she'll never see him again. And then she says, I wonder why anyone would call a, doc a moon doctor. Ah, and then she realizes that that's actually the doctor. So that is the secret romantic backstory they put in. And uh, they don't know if it's canon or not. If you read it, uh, you get the, the interview with uh, Russell T. Davies and Stephen Moffat. It's, a, it's an interesting bit of arcane trivia. And you know how we love arcane trivia. We do love so, a little arcane trivia. I think that's part of what makes uh, the Doctor Who world uh, uh, partly part of our autistic culture is there is more arcane trivia than you can shake a stick at. Exactly. And uh, if, again, if you're a fan of community, uh, uh, Dan Harmon Dan is Harman, a huge yeah. Doctor Who fan. So he made Abed a huge, essentially Doctor Who fan, but for, of course, rights issues. Uh, Abed is a big fan of Inspector Space Time. <laughs> and again, for uh, copyright reasons, he can't travel. He can travel anywhere in space and time, just not at the same time. Because, again, copyright reasons. So it's a fantastic little sub-show. The Doctor Who Holiday Special is a terrible classic. Uh, for a while, the people from Inspector Space Time wanted to do a web series, but NBC slapped them down, ironically, because of copyright issues. Oh. <laughs> but, but but I, I, I really, really hope that this encourages you to seek out the show and to binge the show, to get very, very deep into the show and see how it's a reflection of us and our culture and our values. How, you know, you can be gruff and complaining on the exterior, but still be kind because mm. I will complain nonstop about anything and everything. There are days when I hate the world and everyone in it. But at the end of the day, if someone says, hey, I need help, then I'm like, OK, I will Let's help go. because you, you have to. Because I, well, I want to dwell on that a little bit. I almost jumped in earlier, but um, one of the most... Uh, one of the big highlights for me, especially about the Peter Capaldi stuff is about kindness. Yes. And the thing is, when you're saying kindness, I know what you mean, because it's in the context of autistic culture. But kind can look all sorts of ways. Like when I was, oh, yes. I got married in India. And when I got married, there was a like a uh, night before rehearsal dinner has a different name. It's called a Sangeet, but rehearsal dinner, basically. And my in-laws paid for this and they paid for a band and I wanted to show my appreciation that they had thrown this amazing party and they hired this band and in my head the way to show appreciation was I was gonna dance to every song this band played I uh -huh. wanted to be extra kind 
extra appreciative. I was not going to sit down. I was not going to get mopey. I was not going to hide. So I like braced myself because usually if there's a party, I'll be the one in the kitchen or the closet or the bathroom. Like I like to just hide. And so I was like, I'm going to be out there. I'm going to be dancing. I'm going to show them how much I love it. What I didn't know was in Indian culture, instead of paying a band for like two hours or four hours, the way this band was paid was they came and they would stay as long as the party went on. So as long as people were dancing, they would keep playing. <laughs> Lost in translation. So what everyone in his family was thinking is this girl is so rude. She is making it very clear she's going to take this family for every penny. She's just going to keep dancing. This party went on. I was like, how many hours did they pay for Finally, a cousin like came up to me and was like, you should really stop dancing. This is costing his parents a lot of money. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> but nobody wanted to tell me because I looked like I was having so fun, so much fun. But I was just trying to be kind and show my appreciation. But it was killing me. Yeah, yeah. I did not want to be there at all. <laughs> You were exhausted. They were exhausted. You were dancing as long as they were playing. They were playing as long as you were dancing. It's this perpetual motion machine trying to outlast each other. It's the gift of the Magi here. So what I want to say about kindness is like it is within a cultural context and often sweetness can be confused with kindness or niceties or pleasantries can be confused with kindness. What Peter Capaldi and the the Doctor Who franchise in general bring is, I think, an autistic culture definition of kindness, which is a deep, abiding, justice-fueled kindness, not about friendliness or cheeriness. Yeah. You have to do what is right. You have to help people in need. You have to, uh, no, no matter what, uh, be be good to people. And that's not just, again, like, hey, I want your chips. No, you can't have my chips. That's that's Giving chips is not kind. Helping people in need, people who are starving, help the people who are starving, help the people who are hurt, standing up to with the marginalized people. Yes. That is what is kind, putting yourself out there to do what is right for the justice. Again, bending the rules of space and time to help those who need it. Bending the rules of space and time to help through those who need it. Well, that is a good way to end this magical episode. Uh, if you're not a Doctor Who fan yet, hopefully you've picked up a few hints on why people love it so much. If you are in the comments, tell us your favorite doctor. We, You know mine is David Tennant. Did I ask you yours? What's your favorite doctor? Oh God, uh, it's a tie between Tennant and uh, the, the Capaldi because Capaldi. Uh, yeah, I can uh, see again, that. he was my first, uh, Tennant was my first doctor. I love everything he does, but Capaldi, uh, I, I I need to move some books around because I've got 12 inch dolls of both Capaldi and Tennant. And at some point, if you watch on YouTube, you'll be able to see them behind me around maybe Grogu. But again, I want to make sure my books don't fall over and I, 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 I must have silence in my library. So, you know. Hmm. 
Yes. But, uh, but with that said, uh, what, what, uh, Hey Angela, what was your favorite part about being autistic this week? Well, my favorite part of being autistic this week is that, that doing this episode gave me a very fun reason for my husband to info dump all over me about <laughs> Dr. Who. And if given the option, he would info dump every day about Dr. Who, but I don't usually give him the reason, but this was that reason. So uh, the fun Doctor Who trivia that I will share with you is we didn't talk much about Colin Baker, who's Doctor Who number six, probably the reason the show got canceled and definitely lost a whole lot of funding. Colin Baker even refused to film his own regeneration machine, uh, regeneration scene uh, into Sylvester McCoy. Dr. Seven, a Dr. Seven. So they used a body double because he wouldn't do it. Uh, But my little fun fact trivia is my handsome Dr. Who loving husband was actually in a film starring Colin Baker. You can find it uh, or the the note of it, not the film because it's terrible, Uh, but on IMDb. (laughs) It's called Soul's Ark with Colin Baker's absolutely terrible. My husband said he was horrible, cantankerous, and had few redeeming features, but he was in a film with Dr. (laughs) So this is what happens when we go deep on our special interests. We get to do crazy things. So I love that. That's fantastic. That's what I got for you. I had so much fun doing this episode. Can't wait to see who your favorite doctor is below. Come back and join us next week. Like, share, comment, subscribe, and tell a friend about the Autistic Culture Podcast. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Autistic Culture Podcast. If you like this show, you can help other people find it by taking a few minutes to rate and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can find out more about writing your book with me at differencepress.com. That's difference, D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-C-E, press, P-R-E-S-S.com. Or getting a psychological evaluation or consult with me at www.mattlowrylpp.com. That's M-A-T-T, Matt Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y, L-P-P, as in Licensed Psychological Practitioner.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, no one ever changed the world by being like everyone else. (laughs) 